Well, thank you for that, Anna. Unsung heroes. Oh my goodness, what a cool thing. Look, I got to be a part of it and I'm so excited that I was. And here's why. This is Grace Community Church's way of looking at 5,000 of our community members and saying, we see you and you have tremendous value and we love you. And for me to be able to say those things to members of our community is huge because those are sentiments of equitable and just community. And I know that's the heartbeat of this church and the heartbeat of the God that we serve. And so thank you everybody who participated and put it together. What a, what a cool thing. Now, let me tell you where I am here and why I'm walking behind this house. I'm not about to break in or steal anything. This is the home of Dave and Amy Mino. They have two of our high school seniors, Andrew and Lizzie. I love you guys. I can't believe you're seniors, that you're gonna be leaving us so soon. Don't actually just, you need a redo on senior year. We want to keep you around for one more year. I think your mom would be on board with that. I don't know about your dad, but hey, here's the here's the deal. I'm here to show you just the kind of environment where our high schoolers meet every week. If you don't know this, every week all across Northern Virginia, DC, Falls Church, look, groups of our high schoolers are meeting to be in community, to have youth group. We can't meet in a big group yet, but we have been meeting in small groups in backyards for months and months now, and it's been really cool. Thank you to all of our house huddle hosts. You guys are amazing. And the other reason we're here is this. This past fall, something really cool happened in this backyard that I'm excited to share with you at the end of this message. So let's go. So I also want to thank Pastor John for that incredible welcome of everybody to church today, uh, especially that note that he mentioned in there about how much Michelle and I are influencing our next generation. Although I'm actually not sure how much just this past week, I was with a bunch of our high schoolers and I asked them this question. I said, hey, who or what are the, the top five influences on you and your generation? And how have those things influenced you? And, you know, sitting right there in that bench when they responded by mocking me and they said, Jesus, obviously. And, you know, you, Komar, just before they mentioned a character from Fortnite and then asked me to reframe the question in multiple choice format. Okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're saving up all of their deep thinking for the discussion we were about to have of Romans chapter seven. It's what we've been, st we've been studying Paul's letter to the Romans for the past couple months. I've been immersed in it. It's been influ influencing my work tremendously. Um, but anyways, if you missed the welcome, we are here in week one of a series called Influencer. And here's the big idea. There are three ways you can affect change. You can force people to change, you can pay people to change, or you can inspire people to change. In other words, you can use your position and your power, or you can use your money, or you can use your influence. And Jesus, he chose to inspire us to change. He chose the path of influence. And that is a huge deal because that tells us something incredible about who Jesus is and who God is. And it tells us something about God's heart, because here's the reality. When you choose the path of influence, you are choosing to prioritize and preserve the relationships with everybody you're hoping will, will change. Like you think about it. Okay. You force me to change. Okay. I'm, I'll do what you're forcing me to do. But the second you leave, I'm not going to think a thing about you. There's no relationship there. 
You pay, you can pay me to change. I'll do what I'm paid to do. But you leave, I'll take my paycheck and I'm not gonna think a thing about you. There's no real relationship there. But if you inspire me to change simply by being just so dang good and you be, become an influence in my life, you've won my heart. You've won my affections. And that is exactly what Jesus is after. And I know this, this, this message is getting really deep really quick, but here we are and it's important because some of us, we've grown up in church and maybe we've forgotten. Or some of us, we're not yet aware because we're new to church. We haven't really been around for, you know, Christianity for very long. But here's something true about Jesus. It's so important. He's far less interested in our good behavior or our, our, our efforts to please him or make him happy. Far more interested in winning our affections. He's far more interested in our desire to enjoy being with him. So that's what Jesus does. He steps out of heaven. He steps into human flesh. He says, humanity, we need to make a change. Things got to change. But I'm not going to force you to change. And I'm not going to bribe you to change. I'm not going to dangle carrots of blessing in front of you so that you change. I'm simply going to allow you to watch me live an indisputably good life. And my hope and my prayer and my dreams is that you'll see it and will inspire you to change. You'll allow me to influence your lives and we'll get the results. Don't get me wrong. Jesus cared about the results. He gave everything for the results. The results being an increasingly equitable and just humanity. Free from hierarchies, free from power struggles. Jesus wanted the results, but his choice to choose the path of influence shows that he cares about the relationships just as much as the results. Okay, that's the series in a nutshell. That's influencer. That's what we're talking about for three weeks. Week one, this week, here's what we're after. Just how exactly was Jesus's life different from any other life lived on the planet? What was the secret sauce to that? What was behind it? What was beneath it? What, what fueled that? How was it so indisputably good? And what does that mean for me? As someone here sitting in church thinking about influence. Did you know that you're a lot like uh, a stalk of celery? And that's not an insult, you celery haters. Nothing wrong with celery. Look, celery's crunchy, it's vibrant. She's got all kinds of strong strings and like sinews that, I mean, you could make a rope out of that stuff. Take it, take it hiking with you. It might save your life. Don't hate on celery. But those aren't the reasons why you're like a stalk of celery. Here's why you're like a stalk of celery. Because celery's life will begin to reflect whatever it is that it is immersed into. Like I immerse the celery in the blue and, and over time, give it, give it some time, give it a couple hours, give it a night and bam, celery is going to begin to reflect that into which it is immersed. Now, I know what you're thinking. You thought you were here at church. You didn't think you were coming to a magic show, did you? But that's not the point. The point is, you're like a stalk of celery because in the same way, celery's life will begin to reflect that into which it is immersed. Our lives will begin to reflect that into which we are immersed. Social psychologists, 
can back this up. The Bible supports this idea. The Bible talks about bad company corrupting good character. It talks about how a little bit of leaven leavens the whole dough. Social psychologists are all over this. You've heard the phrase that, or the idea that, that we actually are the average of the top five people that we spend the most time with. Or this idea that, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And there's even a Harvard uh, psychologist who quantified things and said, look, you think about the people you spend the most amount of time with and they can predict up to 95% all of your successes or failures in life. It's all about this idea. That into which we are immersed, our life will begin to reflect. And, and it's actually with that in mind, it, it makes sense for me to remind all the guys out there that this Saturday is a really great opportunity for you to kind of immerse yourself in a community of great men. Guys are gathering for a, a summit and we've got a panel of some really good guys the, the topic is navigating well in times of uncertainty, but we're going to get to glean some really neat wisdom from the guys on the panel. Lots of questions that are going to be answered. I know I'll be there. I know what it, what it means to be immersed in the right kind of communities. I think even back to my middle school years and some of the things that I was immersed in in middle school. Magic 105.7. Our local oldies station, Elvis Presley, the Righteous Brothers, Motown. In middle school, I was immersed in that stuff. And I would be getting funny looks from my classmates because I'd be walking the halls of my middle school humming the tune of Sugar Pie Honey Bunch. And they're all shuffling around with their head down in their Nirvana t-shirts, Green Day, Smashing Pumpkins, immersed in all this heavy stuff. And I'm over here immersed in like when a man loves a woman by the Righteous Brothers. And true to form, because I'm like a celery stalk, my life began to reflect that. All those songs about romance, all those songs about pursuing that lady. I mean, it it shaped me into the incredible husband that I am today. Like you can ask Robin. She will definitely tell you that I'm the best husband she's ever had. That's just one example, though. Sports. From age five to 22, my life was immersed in sports, football, wrestling, baseball, all year round. And I had this book, this huge book. It was called The Edge. It was like an encyclopedia of quotes from Olympic and professional athletes, quotes about preparation, character, competition, focus, all these quotes. And I read it every single day. And true to form, because I'm like a stalk of celery, I was immersed in it and my life began to reflect. I remember in seventh grade, I was living in Cleveland, Ohio, Northeast Ohio in wintertime, wrestling season. This is January and February. I decided on my own that I needed to wake up at 5.30 in the morning every morning so I could run three miles, do all kinds of push-ups and sit-ups, all before showering and get getting ready to catch the school bus at 6.45. Who does that in middle school? It's crazy. But I'm like a stalk of celery, and my life is going to reflect that into which I am immersed. So look, that is a key idea as we're talking about influence. And it actually, it begs the question. It like gives us a reason to stop and pause and think like, you know, who or what are the things in which my life is immersed right now or, or has been immersed? Like what, what is my life reflecting? Because I've been immersed in it. It's a really important question to ask. And, you know, spoiler alert, although it's not too much of a spoiler because this is church, there will be talk about being immersed in Jesus. So the Apostle Paul was known for his insistence 
that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the best thing that has ever happened to the world. And his longest and most thorough explanation for how is found in a letter that he wrote to a first century church in Rome. It's in the Bible. It's called the Book of Romans. And in it, Paul works really hard to present a very clear understanding for who Jesus is. And to do that, he starts with one key idea. There's one key phrase that is like the cornerstone to understanding Jesus. And the phrase is this, the righteousness of God. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says that in the gospel, which is the story of Jesus's life, death and resurrection, in that, in that story of Jesus's life, the righteousness of God is revealed. And then again, later in Romans chapter three, verse 21, he's talking about Jesus. And he says that the righteousness of God is revealed, has been made known apart from the law. Or in other words, the righteousness of God has been made visible by the life of Jesus Christ. So if we want to understand Jesus, we've got to understand this concept of the righteousness of God. So what is the righteousness of God? Well, most simply, uh, the righteousness of God is the equity and justice of God. Paul uses the term both times in Greek, dikaiusone, which simply means equity and justice. So on a base level, we can understand the righteousness of God to be the equity and justice of God, the character of God. God is equitable and God is just, but it's actually so much cooler that, than that and so much deeper than that. And if you don't mind, I'm going to do a little pastor geek out on this like spiritual concept for a second here, because if we remember to take into account what we know about God based on Jesus's teachings, we're going to see a whole new thing here when it comes to the righteousness of God. So if you remember, Jesus insisted that he was not alone in his Godship over and over and over again. Jesus reminded his, his listeners and his followers that he was representing a God community. He, specifically, he talked about the Father and he talked about the Spirit as other persons in this God community. Over and over again, he would say, I and the Father are one. Apart from the Father, I can do nothing. And then again about the Spirit, he said, you know, I'm going away, but I'm sending you another member of the God community, the Helper, the Spirit who is going to be with you. Now, this may seem inconsequential, but it's not. It's crucial because... We cannot understand God as being an individual who is holy and righteous and equitable and just. We need to understand God to be what God is, a community of persons that is righteous and holy and equitable and just. And when we do, look, think about what that means. Think about who God is now as an equitable and just community. God is a community of persons who has existed in perfect harmony for all of time. A community of persons whose relationships within the community are characterized by mutual admiration and self-sacrificing love. In the community of God, there are no hierarchies. There are no haves and have-nots. None of the persons in the community of God struggle with self-exaltation or self-preservation. None of them is seeking to advance his will, their will over the will of the other members of the community of God. God represents perfectly righteous community, equitable and just community. And here's why that's a big deal. Because it's the community of God, the righteousness of God, the equity and justice of God that we were meant for, that I was meant for. I was brought into being not only to reflect the righteousness of God, 
but also to engage and enjoy the righteousness of God. It is the reason for my being. And with that in mind, it's no wonder while my, why my soul craves so desperately equity and justice, why my soul craves community that is equitable and just, because it's what I was made to be. Like my soul is tuned to it. And that's so good. And Paul says that we can most clearly understand the righteousness of God by watching the life of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that in the life of Jesus, the righteousness of God, the equity and justice of God, those beautiful relationships that members of the God community share can be most clearly seen in the life of Jesus. It actually makes me think of this quirky little story in the Gospel of John where Jesus's followers, they really want Jesus to kind of catapult himself into the celebrity of the time. At that point, Jesus had become well-known in certain areas, but he wasn't like technically like super famous yet. And there was this big festival happening and the disciples are like, Jesus, anybody who wants to be truly well-known goes up to this festival and teaches. And Jesus actually says no. Jesus declines the invitation, but for a very strange reason. He he says no. And the reason he says is this, he says, because my time has not yet come. And that's super interesting. And, And whatever that means, the story itself is not very clear. When Jesus says, my time has not yet come, as his reason for not going immediately to the festival. But here's what we see in the scriptures. The multiple times when Jesus talks about the timing of his life, when he talks about decisions to go there or stay here or do this thing, the timing of the events of his life, he always talks about those things in conjunction with the other members of the God community. Like the timing of his life is in the Father's hands. In other words, when it comes to the timing of my life and decisions on where to go and when to stay, I have to keep in step with the other members of the God community. In other words, I don't act alone. In other words, I am not going to act outside of the agreement of the other members of the God community. I have to protect and preserve the equity and justice of those relationships. And that means going to them and agreeing. In a sense, asking for permission. Now that's incredible because I grew up in a culture that told me the weakest thing I could do as a man was to go and ask permission to do something. If I wanted it, I should go get it. If I want poker night, I go to poker night and I don't ask for permission. Of course, my wake up call came rather quickly when I married Robin, who was an incredibly strong woman and who is insistent upon being in a marriage that is equitable and just. And she does not tolerate the kind of I do me or I do what I want that it is the self-exaltation and the self, you know, the self, whatever, the self-will that ruins relationships. But look, isn't it amazing that even in this little story, Jesus is modeling for me the kind of life that my marriage desperately needs. All this to say, watching the life of Jesus is how we come to understand 
how we do relationships and community perfectly because his life represents the righteousness of God, the equity and justice of God that results in equitable and just community and ultimately an equitable and just world. And, and, and again, here's why this is important. It's because that's what we were made for and because that is what is so good. And that is what brings us really to what is the main point of this message. And it's this. When we immerse ourselves in Jesus, our lives will begin to reflect his equity and justice. When we immerse ourselves in Jesus, Jesus's equity and justice can begin to influence the world. And here's why this is so important, because in a way, we're, we're all concerned with the things that are influencing our lives. And we're also concerned with the way in which our lives are influencing the world. And so when we're gonna, in a minute, when we stop and, and take stock of the things that are influencing us and the ways that we are therefore influencing the world, this idea of the righteousness of God is going to be key. And Jesus himself said it best when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, Okay, celery stock, who, whose life is going to reflect that into which it is immersed. Like you want to reflect equity and justice. You want to influence the world for good. Step one, immerse yourself in Jesus. So this past fall, right here on this lawn, we celebrated the baptism of two of our youth. Lily, you did such a good job getting dunked in that water. And Judah, I actually still have a part of your baptism gift I have to give you. So don't let me forget. But anyways, this baptism was a huge deal. Maddie and Kara showed up to lead us in some worship. Um, we had some good times together. Like it was a real family celebration. In fact, after the baptism, one of our high schoolers who had never witnessed a baptism before, I asked him what he thought and he was blown away. He said, you know, I hadn't seen a baptism before. I wasn't sure what to expect, but I was blown away at what a powerful thing this was. And what's, what's so true is, and what he was picking up on is the power of this tradition, this symbolic dunking in water because what happens when someone's getting baptized is they are making a public declaration that their heart has been awakened to the idea that Jesus is in fact the way, the truth, and the life. And when a heart is awakened to that, this, this, another incredible thing happens. And, and kind of the best way to describe it is in terms of like old self and new self. You know, when, when a person's heart and mind is confronted like in a real way with the righteousness and the perfection and the glory, the equity and justice of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, their response is like, oh, yeah, that's life. Like that's who I'm meant to be. That is the way to live. And they begin to see everything about their life beforehand is kind of like an old self. Like that's, that's who I used to be before my heart was kind of turned on to this path. And now, that I've, I'm aware of true living according to what I've seen in Jesus. I've, I'm like a new self. And, and baptism is symbolically burying that old self. Now, here's why I bring that up. Because when it comes to becoming immersed in Jesus so that our lives might reflect his equity and justice, it's the new self that says, I've got to be fully immersed in Jesus. It's where I belong. You know, the old self, 
The old self may be curious about Jesus. Like, yeah, Jesus was good. Jesus lived a great life. Jesus was really influential. I think I could learn some things from Jesus. I think, you know, it would be good if, if some things about Jesus rubbed off on me. But the, old, but the new self, the new self says, you know, I'm not just curious about Jesus. I don't think some of Jesus should kind of rub off on me. I need to be immersed in Jesus. And here's my hope and my prayer that all of us on increasing levels would become more and more aware of just how good and perfect and righteous and holy and equitable and just Jesus was. And in, 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 in that, our hearts would become more and more awakened to the reality that that's the life I'm meant to live and where I belong is completely immersed in Jesus. Because here's the deal. We all want to maximize both the quantity and the quality of our influence in the world. And when it comes to influence, isn't it true that we always ask who does the thing best? Like when it comes to, ma to, to math and educators, like they're like, who does math best? Who teaches math best? Let's immerse ourselves in that and allow that to influence how we teach math or healthcare. Same thing. Who, which nation does healthcare best or which na nation does offender reform best? And say, okay, let's allow that to influence us. Well, who does community best? Who does relationships best? I would submit for your consideration that the God community does it best. God is perfectly equitable and just. They have, the members of that community have existed in perfect relationship for all of time. And it has been made visible by the life of Christ. So when we think about allowing Jesus to influence the way we live, whose life do we want to be reflected in our life? It's got to be Jesus. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Jesus is perfect equity and justice. And when our hearts become aware of that, we say, okay, I've got to be immersed in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, at this point, like this, these ideas are in your hands. I would just ask that, that spirit, you would do what only you can do. And then you could take these truths and you can take these ideas and you can do something with them in our hearts, grow them in our hearts so that they might bear fruit. Lord, I pray for each person listening today that in some way, your glory, your goodness, your righteousness would become more and more known to them and their desire to become immersed in you would become great. Amen.